And we're live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our seventh free webinar in the 2020 Smart Building series. Hope you're doing well. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, where things go wrong with smart buildings today. And very, very pleased to have uh, Mike Bruman from Vanti with us today. Vanti are a leading master systems integrator based in the UK. And we're, uh, Mike's going to show a uh, really interesting presentation around you know, some of the concepts and learnings that he's had from doing various smart building, commercial smart building projects um, Yeah, um, over the past few years. So, for example, things we'll be discussing are when and how to introduce technology discussions into the construction design process and the impact of poor procurement frameworks on design installation and commissioning of, um, of, uh, of everything. Hi, Mike, how are you doing? I'm very good, Jim. How are you? <laughs> good. I'm great. I'm great. And sorry to everyone out there. We had a couple of technical issues uh, to sort out. So sorry that we're a couple of minutes late. Um, yeah, just um, before I let Mike um, get started with uh, his presentation, a uh, few things um, that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, first, um, if you do have questions, like we definitely want them, want to make this an interactive session. So best thing to do is to, if you look at the bottom of your window, you'll see a uh, Q&A uh, button. That will open um, another window and you'll be able to put questions in there. There is also a chat function, but generally um, the Q&A is best for, for that. And that's where I'll look first. And then beyond that, we are recording this. So if you would like to share with any of your colleagues, then um, we'll be putting a link on our website when, when this is finished. And you can get the recording on YouTube, SoundCloud, and also um, it's available as a podcast as well. So you can get that through iTunes and Spotify. Yeah, that's about it from me. Uh, Mike, over to you. Thanks so much. And good Welcome. afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Um, so I've tried to not make this session completely negative and tried to look at some of the, the positives. So we're not just going to look at uh, everything that's, that's going on and wrong in the world of smart buildings. We are going to try and look at, at some of the things that we can do to, to make things better. So in terms of uh, smart buildings, we've been working with this definition now for the last five years. Um, we believe it still holds true today, uh, and really it's about three things. It's useful and consistent experiences, and then it's making sure that we use space effectively and we're also energy efficient as well. And there's lots and lots of different systems that go into smart buildings, as we'll see in a second, but really that's the, the crux and the reason for them all being there. And we'll also talk about some of the industry challenges that we're starting to see uh, following COVID-19, and also uh, the uh, mass exodus to work at home that's really going to start driving this experiential um, stuff within property. So we worked on this graphic a little while ago with Memory and, and Jim and uh, looked at some of the key stakeholders that were involved through the life cycle of a commercial building. And what we wanted to start looking at was how that related to well-established construction processes like the REWA plan of work. And in the UK, and apologies for anyone overseas, uh, REBA really is the, the kind of gold standard. It's what nearly all of the projects that we're involved with um, run through. And we're quite rare as an organization now in that we have actually been all the way from stage one and we are working with lots and lots of clients in their in-use phases uh, to keep things um, uh, optimal and well optimized. Some key things to pull out of this graphic are there's a real perception in the industry between uh, white and blue collar. Uh, and that dividing line really comes in the crossover from design team going into kind of main contracting. And also then the uh, wonderful term called VE or value engineering that often gets talked about. And there are multiple points through this process where um, VE comes in, efforts to save money take over, and we're um, compromising the experience that's potential uh, in the build. 
The other thing is we often don't focus on that operate and maintain section. So you've got the total life cycle, huge amount of it is actually in that operate and maintain phase. And we still buy technology going into buildings like we buy toasters in our kitchen. So we sit our toasters on the side, we keep toasting our bread, one day it breaks, we throw it away and we buy a new one. Unfortunately, within buildings and the technology that runs buildings, waiting for things to break can be incredibly disruptive. So whilst there's lots of efforts out there around things like planning preventative maintenance, there are better things that we could do to also help with that change and upgrading systems in buildings over time. I also love, uh, Jim uh, came out with this analogy in one of his reports, uh, looking at buildings like jumbo jets, which are designed for a similar life cycle. And actually all of the systems within a 747 are designed to be modular. So they can all be removed and upgraded independently. Um, the only thing is we don't try and do it when the plane's flying in the air. And I think when it comes to buildings, when they do open, often we are very pressurized for keeping things up and running and make, making sure there is very little downtime, particularly when you start to look at things like critical infrastructure, or even the hospitality industry and hotels. So we had a further look at the Rio plan of works, and I think this is probably the most contentious part of working within construction is we often find that, uh, and honestly, as technologists, we first did this when we, we came off the back of our first smart building in 2015, got all excited about what was possible and we didn't appreciate that we were coming into what is a very well established um, business with um, industry with its own uh, ways of working and so really it's now about looking at how we fit technology into the construction process and make things work effectively so what we've looked at here is is two elements first of all there isn't really a a community of practice that is focused around technology in the built environment and we'll talk a bit later about some of the things that we're going to do to address that but one of the things that we think is important is that we start looking at consistent approaches to this and doing them in consistent ways within the well-established phases so things like having good design patterns for bringing systems in that support the uh, experience of a building making sure that we've got established patterns in terms of how technology is installed, how it's commissioned, how it then moves into being supported. And then also looking at common tools to help with designing those uh, complex kind of systems of systems to help actually achieve the integration between them. And then as we're moving into those uh, later phases, looking at operating and optimizing them. And ultimately we would love it uh, in our role as, as kind of master systems integrator, where we actually get to some level of um, certification so that people can buy with confidence and we avoid what's happening at the moment, which is um, people not delivering on the experiences that they promised uh, earlier on in the design phases. And then looking into more of the, the technologist approach for this, this is now the, the structure that we're, we're looking to work to. So really making sure that we engage with stakeholders throughout. It's something that as an industry, technologists are um, stereotypically, sometimes notoriously poor at, is actually interacting with the people around them to make sure that they're clear on what's going on and explaining it in very accessible language. There's also the phase up front here that I've highlighted that is often missed completely in building programs. So it's very rare still for people to actually look at what the technology experience is going to be in a building. It's quite rare for people to look at the use cases of that technology, how people are going to interact with it through different um, technology touch points or user interfaces. And also, and more and more critically, as we move into wanting to do things like digital twinning, and uh, looking at buildings that can evolve over the time with AI and things like that, um, we need to understand this data and, and systems kind of architecture and landscape. And all of the stuff on the right-hand side that, as you can see, kind of lines up with the midway through stage four of technical design does happen at the moment, but it can be very cumbersome. It's not always particularly well planned out, and it can lead to um, things being difficult for 
um, end users and uh, people who actually operate the building at the end. So we're buying a smart building. What do we do? This is the traditional way of doing it. So we'll buy up everything as individual packages of work. So there'll be a package for the structured cabling, a package for the active wired network, package for the wireless network. And we go in to look at some of the kind of building services and enablement, and they're all bought as separate independent packages as well. And then once we get into the workplace, normally as part of a fit out piece of work, all of these separate systems are bought independently too. And what there isn't a um, consistent kind of look at is how they're all going to work together. They're all still purchased as point solutions that answer a particular need. And a lot of that is due to the way that we've bought these systems previously. And I'll show you some of that in a second. So what are you actually buying when you're buying building systems? Well, you're buying a set of functionality. And we've started to try and use this model to help talk about this with our clients. Um, to make it easier for them to understand. So rather than giving them every possible system that's in a building, we can actually break it down into looking at very key components. So what systems ensure life safety? What systems are looking at um, providing energy management and optimization functionality? And that allows us to start talking about things in a way that's a lot more natural for people. We're not looking at system specifications and, and all of that detail we're talking about what you actually want it to do. And once we've defined that, we then move into actually looking at the systems themselves, which again, we've tried to start grouping um, in ways that allow us to talk to them at the right level with uh, the right sets of people. So things like converged infrastructure and base build technology will often be talked about with main contractors. They often go into the very fabric of the building now. Um, Converged networks are very common in newer buildings. And as we move up the tiers, what we move through into building enablement is really that blurry line where we start getting into things like um, resource booking systems, room and desk booking, um, the interaction experience that tends to involve more interior designers and architects because actually it needs to fit with the look and feel of the space. It needs to potentially bring, bring a, a brand to life. And then finally, personal technology, the stuff that sits on people's desks and they carry around in their pockets, you know, how are they using that to, to also interact with the building? But as I mentioned, there are lots of different topologies that sit behind this. And I think historically and in the beginning, and we hear this a lot uh, from colleagues within construction, they hark back to a simpler time where in my example here, we've got a CCTV system. Um, we lash some coax cable through the building and we plugged it into what is known um, most often as a head end. In this case, it would be a, a video recorder or whatever else that's capturing those camera feeds. And, and that, that's very neat. It sits in its own little silo. Um, it's very easy to kind of point at someone when it goes wrong, um, but actually it gives you very little functionality outside of that limited um, system realm. Where we're moving towards now is all of those different packages that I showed you earlier on have now become network enabled. And, and that means we're now plugging cameras into network switches. Um, we still have a head end, but actually it tends to be something that is both network enabled and more likely to be uh, akin to a, a desktop PC. So it will have um, hard disks in it. It will have a normal processor and all of that kind of stuff that you'd expect to have in a PC. And potentially we might connect that out to the cloud to allow us for some cloud viewing. So actually we can get those images wherever we are. There's also a set of systems that have become network enabled, but still rely on some element of hard, hard wiring. So things like uh, building management systems for the control of uh, mechanical plant, all that kind of thing, and also lighting systems revolve around this technology. So typically they have an area controller somewhere nearby that looks after a set of lights or a zone and that will um, be able to address each of those different components turning them on and off or adjusting the, uh, the different facets of them those area controllers now do plug into a network switch so you know typically uh, back in the beginning they used to plug directly into their head end and now we're also looking out to the cloud to start doing some element of control so you'll have seen the apps in the market that allow you to adjust the temperature in your workplace or control what a meeting room is doing. 
And then finally, we're moving into a world of IoT. So typically wireless sensors um, connect to a gateway, but that then also connects back into a network and ultimately out to the cloud for some kind of analytics. And what I'm trying to demonstrate here is that whilst in the beginning, all of those silos sat neatly in isolation, what we're starting to get now is a set of common components. So we can have a converged network where actually rather than every contractor turning up with their own network switches, there's already a set of network switches in the building. It's also possible to do that with all the head ends. So rather than them running on lots of different um, bits of equipment, they can be properly managed in server environments. And then finally, clients are not going to want to have a cloud over here for one thing and a cloud over there for another. And so there's lots and lots of efficiency to be gained if we can restructure the way that we actually procure our buildings. And also there's huge cost benefits when we get to the stage of not having the same contractors, sorry, multiple contractors doing laps of the same building installing exactly the same equipment as you can see on uh, the right hand side of the screen there. All of these systems also come with different interfaces and as things have become more kind of technology enabled we've seen more people bringing out their own interfaces so whether that's touch panels that sit on walls whether it's kiosks for checking in visitors in reception whether it's um, on uh, floor screens that show the status of meeting rooms or desks and then also there's the often forgotten touch points so things like access control readers, and also passive indicators as to whether things are um, in use or not. And these all lead up to quite big building landscapes. So uh, this is a, a project that we're working on in London at the moment, and there's around 40 distinct systems that actually are going to make up this smart building, all of which need some sort of uh, integration or interaction configured between them. So how do we make this work? Well, we wanted to start with uh, just a, a bit of a view on alternative lenses. So here we've got two people looking at the same thing, which is a light bulb. The person on the left is most interested in how that light bulb gets maintained. So it might be they want to do that plan preventative maintenance that I talked about earlier. So there's a replacement before it actually goes out. The person on the right hand side is actually just more interested on, in how we turn the light on and off. And this is going right back to the um, life cycle uh, that we looked at earlier on, is happening between stakeholders all the time. It's very often that we sit in meetings and you'll have two people who think they're talking about the same thing, but are actually talking about something completely different. And once you get into the delivery of technology, not having that specificity in terms of what needs to happen, can make it very difficult to produce good end results. So what we need is ways of achieving more common understanding. And this is something that's often talked about in software user story mapping. So we have a group of people that come together and they all think they're building a smart building, but actually their perspectives are slightly different. So as we mentioned, people looking at maintenance, people looking at using it, people are looking at analyzing it in terms of its performance or making it more efficient. But often there isn't that uh, and time and understanding to sit down and realize that actually we are talking about quite disparate things. And then what needs to happen is a process through which people can go to actually realize that everything that they're talking about is probably absolutely correct from their perspective, but actually it needs those other perspectives to be brought together to realize that actually we can get to one solution. And that's also what that earlier design phase that I outlined for technologists uh, and the reason that that's so important is to make sure that this process happens and so everyone regardless of whether they're a building investor the actual developer the main contractor the entire design team are all clear on what we're all working towards so the essentials for this are a standard definition we need to know who's in the building um, and who's going to be using it. So whether they're a visitor, facilities manager, et cetera, et cetera. We need to think about their use cases. So what do they actually need to do when they're in the building or indeed out of it? I could be, and in, in this increasingly remote world, I could be a facilities manager that actually sits at home to manage the building a lot of the time. We need to look at unified interfaces. 
Um, I'll talk about this a bit more in a second, but if we don't unify interfaces across um, all of the touch points that I mentioned earlier, it can be very difficult to achieve a consistent experience. And that means we have product-led uh, solutions to problems rather than something that the building actually owns and manages as an experience. We need some functional specifications. So this is the stuff that the building is actually going to do. And then once we've got all of those things, we can move into looking at actually architecting uh, the systems and the data and how that's all gonna be structured. And this is where you'd start thinking about things like naming conventions and, and being able to get to a point of potentially analyzing data and uh, digital twins, et cetera. So we need to begin with the end in mind. And I think a lot of people are going into projects at the moment, not really thinking anything other than I want a smart building. And that's also um, often because they don't see the differences between the approaches. So we've had a shot at looking at uh, the market and projects today, and we've come up with five ways of describing where we think we're currently at. And I would love um, to hear feedback on this and um, people's thoughts. So we've already talked about this, the, the ultimate silo exists completely on its own, doesn't talk to anything else, does what it needs to do, but actually in terms of achieving any of the outcomes that we talked about, either through experiential space utilization or energy saving, not particularly helpful. So I think we can probably all agree if we're sat in the session, that's not where we want to be. The other place we don't want to be, and something that is very, very present um, in the residential market is smart silos. And this is where you almost end up with that kind of app for everything. So you could have an app for your lights, an app for your heating, an app for something different, because actually there isn't that thought of what the end user experience is going to be. You have someone who's creating a product that's producing an interface. Now, that's absolutely valid, and I'm absolutely not saying to product developers that they shouldn't be working in this way. But what needs to happen with product developers in this smart siloed world is they need to provide an interface whereby a different um, user interface can be used to control their system. We're also seeing a number of specifications come out that are almost hell-bent on data. And there is this thing out there at the moment of, of data being the new oil. I think when it comes to buildings, if you're trying to enable a building just around data, you're probably not going to get much of a return. And if you look at the operational expenditure statistics that um, JLL produced a couple of years ago, um, looking at the uh, expenditure of businesses as, as kind of 1,990, so 1% spent on energy, 9% spent on space, which is probably going to change in the, in the next few years, and then 90% spent on their people. And actually, if you think of buildings where you know, they are spaces where people need to coexist, be together, work on things simultaneously, just getting data out about what it's doing isn't necessarily helpful or conducive to producing a, um, a good brand reinforcing experiential environment. So we caution against this um, only because moving into the experiential realm, um, all you're really introducing is two-way communication between things and the ability to put a single interface on top of them. Now, this is still um, some way away from optimal, and that's because the, of the differences that I talked about earlier. A lot of the time we're seeing um, specifications come out that refer to putting gateways everywhere. And so in the data example that I've got there with the, uh, the green kind of area controllers, you'll often find that people are putting in kind of traditional system packages, but then they're putting a box in front of them to get the information out. That can be effective, but it also becomes very cumbersome when we go back to upgrading that solution over time. And memory have a, an excellent graphic that looks at the frequency within which um, you need to change all of these different layers of a building. Uh, and note that software and most technology devices will be changing at a frequency of up to six months in terms of you know, new software releases through to about three to five years for, for hardware. 
So whilst a true smart building may not seem that different from the experiential um, one that I've uh, mentioned there, the difference really is in that uh, the install and commissioning effort is much, much lighter, but also when you come to change those systems later on, it's much easier. And this is where we start moving towards talking directly to devices and using area controllers that can talk to everything in their lo locality, rather than having an area controller for lighting, an area controller for the BMS, an area controller for potentially CCTV. And so, although the two on the right to a user will look almost identical, behind the scenes, when it comes to that operate and maintain life cycle over those 65 years, the one on the right is much, much easier and much less expensive over time than trying to go down a traditional route and then kind of stick smart on top of it. We're also in the position where we're not just looking at the future. So um, this is a, uh, an oft-quoted um, stat, and we need to be able to facilitate uh, the retrofit market as well. So really looking at how we take this unified interface back into existing buildings in an affordable way, and also at the right time. I think it's important to note that if you are trying to retrofit this, any of this technology, doing that at a point where there is a natural refurbishment makes all the sense in the world. We also need to look at today's building. So making that process a lot easier for bringing everyone together and getting the technology into the spaces. But also we need to be prepared for tomorrow's buildings. So this is an arcology. It's a building where people don't need to leave because they have everything they have. I'm not necessarily saying the world will go in that direction. But I am saying there are probably buildings that we haven't thought about today that we are going to need to ultimately enable and make smart. So we've started looking at this internally ourselves, and um, I'm quite excited today to talk about um, what is going to become Smart Core Foundation. Now, anyone who's um, here who's heard about me talk about Smart Core previously we were looking at this very much from a building operating system integration layer that we would be able to open up to the wider industry um, for everyone's benefit. But actually what we've realized is that a lot of the thinking that happens with inside of Vanity, a lot of the architectural approaches that um, we share with our clients could also be beneficial to other people. And I think we've had a, a real reflection as well on um, the impact that we're going to be able to have over time. There are roughly 2.6 billion buildings in the world and they're consuming huge, huge amounts of energy at the moment. Actually, even if we had all of the investment in the world, we're not going to be able to solve this on our own. And so this is a, a call and this is an invite for people to potentially get involved in this. And we see that both the property and construction industries are in real need of urgent change. They, their organizations do need to go through digital transformation and quite quickly. I've touched on this throughout, but I think we're all aware and as much as I hate the, the phrase new normal, um, I think we can all accept that we are moving towards that and people will now only move when they need to, that actually we're not getting those long leases that um, landlords were used to previously that actually if people are moving they want to be going to a space that um, helps them fulfill their purpose and what they're trying to do and actually if you're going to attract and retain the best talent you want to be providing a great experience within that space it's not just going to be about how many desks can we um, squeeze into uh, the smallest space possible and also we've got this um, position that I think Enterprise IT found itself in a while ago and has responded to in, in many ways, but actually the consumerization of technology is really driving people to say, well, why doesn't my workplace work in this way? You know, we've got all these great concepts out there about how it could work. You know, we should have self-optimizing buildings with AI. Why are we not there yet? So what we're seeking to do with the foundation is start looking at and publishing practices, 
uh, that align from a technology perspective with what is already established in, in construction. And the, the graphic that I showed you earlier goes some way to do that. We want to develop patterns that allow people to pick them up and understand them from different perspectives so that actually a main contractor may not need to understand all of the detail about how a particular technology works or even how it integrates into other things. But they might want to have a conversation at a level that allows them to know the impact of that on their building program. What happens if things don't go in at a particular time and help make everyone understand um, the, the kind of pitfalls of not doing things in the in the correct order. We are still going to continue with SmartCore um, and we're uh, getting towards the initial release of a set of components um, that we're hoping to be able to share with you all soon. Um, we've started with the, the difficult work here. So we're often asked if you know we have analytics layers and all that kind of stuff. The whole idea of SmartCore is to be the glue that sticks everything together. So all those systems that I showed you on that big landscape earlier, it's designed to talk to all of those so they can all interact and interchange data in a normalized way, but also respond gracefully to failure and also graceful upgrades over time. We don't wanna be throwing away toasters and buying new ones. Ultimately, we'd love to get to a stage where this is industry backed. Um, if there are any people out there with deep pockets or big wallets, we'd love to talk to you um, because ultimately, I think from a certainly from a uh, developer perspective, you know, I think we can all agree no one competes on the plumbing that goes into their building. And ultimately, what we're looking at here is plumbing for technology. How do things connect together? How do we make sure there's good flow of information? How does everything um, how does everyone get everything out of it that they need? So all of those personas that I talked about earlier on. And it would be great, and we would love to get to the point of we're getting training and best practice guides out there for technical and non-technical people. Uh, and, and that's really important. I think it's, it's really interesting to see the dynamics between um, technologists and others within construction in big meetings. It's then amazing the number of conversations I have with um, consultants, members of design teams, architects, um, main people who represent you know, building services within main contractors. And they're all very apologetic for not knowing about technology, but that's our job. And it's also our job to make sure that everyone understands. So that's the other outcome we're seeking. Just to... Um, Reassure people that it's not vaporware. This is the um, uh, feature that we built for the Smart Buildings Expo last year. We had uh, an even bigger and better um, version planned as part of Intelligent Buildings Europe this year, which we're very sad not to have been able to deliver. But this shows um, the power of SmartCore and the ability for us to bring uh, lots of different exhibitors to that event, take their product and integrate it very quickly into one unified experience. And that's ultimately what we want to take out um, into building projects and allow others to pick up on that and do it themselves. I just wanted to touch on one final thing, um, which is a, a bit of a wider look at the world. So um, I touched earlier on the, uh, the, the difference between um, white and blue collar, and I do feel very privileged that um, me personally, but also Vanti, the organization I represent, have been able to work all the way through every REBA stage. I think it's confused people who are maybe more on the design team side what an integrator like us is doing there when we're more used to wielding screwdrivers. But I think we're in a really interesting point of inflection at the moment. And actually, this is where we need to start breaking down those barriers uh, that are often perceived where you know, publishing specifications and just telling people they need to deliver to them when actually you have some very specialist contractors and some excellent contracts out there who could feed back into that. I think the system as it stands at the moment does not help communicate uh, the experiential nature of what needs to be created and nor does it actually help people within the industries work together to produce collective outcomes. As I touched on earlier, um, we are 
without another planet to all migrate to and buildings are the single biggest contributor to co2 globally so if there are facilities managers property developers building owners on this call i would urge you to be doing everything possible to make your building smart don't just look at the energy savings because you can get all of the experiential stuff to go alongside it um, but we really do need to start getting some urgent action around this because the investment budgets and the small kind of proof of concepts just aren't enough anymore and i think there is a lot of um, fear and uncertainty out there there is a lot of change but actually and one of the things that we're hoping to um, really be a, a standout example for with the foundation is you know new things are emerging and actually if we can all come together around this if we can all find ways of winning commercially from it then actually it will be a much better place. And just finally, I think on a really macro level, we have sadly at Vanti been subject to racism working in these industries and also in the technology industry. And I think we want to play our part uh, and are already doing so in terms of a lot of the internal efforts that we're working on to really make sure that we are the most diverse and the most inclusive organisation that we can be. I would encourage you all to do the same. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, that's well, you, you covered a lot of ground there, Mike. And I thought it was an excellent presentation. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Um, and I'm, I'm going to steal your toaster analogy. Because I think that, very, that <laughs> very, very, very succinct. And um, yes, I mean, we have a couple of questions already come in, but I would definitely encourage people to um, ask them now. We've got, how are we doing? Yeah, we've got, um, we've got quite a lot of time to cover anything within that presentation you want to talk about. Maybe, I mean, some of the notes I made looking at the, uh, you know, some of those uh, schematic diagrams earlier on. Um, about how rare use cases are in buildings, how we can, how you can engineer. Um, user experience, um, some of the topologies, some of the, um, the converged infrastructure, all the, the big landscape stuff, anything like that. So, oh, and of course, Smart Core as well. Any, if you want any, uh, any of your questions answered, now's the time. So let's open it up with one that came in for you here, Mike. Um, as for the, the converged enabled infrastructure, could that also be a wireless uh, DAS or in-building wireless network, probably carrying public operators already? Uh, that sounds like it's reasonably specific to um, mobile. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting, right? We've, um, well, I've sat on, on panels where uh, we've been talking about kind of the future of 5G. Um, and I had someone turn around to me and, and tell me that there would never be any cables in buildings again and everything would be done over the cellular network. Um, now, this isn't a dig at O2 specifically, but I think we can all remember um, in the last couple of years where their entire network failed. And, and networks do do that, right? Um, and in fact, if you uh, put monitoring on any cloud provider, um, you will also find that there are hours a month where they disappear offline as well. So we're quite big proponents for anything that is um, essential control. So things like turning lights on and off, adjusting temperatures, um, you know, interacting or presenting in spaces, uh, those kind of collaborative technologies. Um, we would always want at least graceful fail back to there being no internet connection. I think there's a real risk that we try and do too much with cellular technology um, i think there is still a, a real place for hard wiring systems um, to make sure that they are resilient robust but also most importantly safe um, because we certainly don't want to get to a point where you know we can't switch our lights on and off because the internet's down and also i think for um, anyone who's actually you know managing portfolios of buildings ultimately buildings at that stage become lines on a spreadsheet and they need to be portable in terms of sale so actually if, if you plumbed your entire building into i don't know let's use amazon web services for example 
and then you sell it to someone who's actually completely Microsoft Azure, well, actually that building might lose value in their eyes because it is less easily adopted or integrated. And I think that's going to be the interesting kind of emergence here. There isn't a real way to value technology at the moment. There isn't mm. a way to assess technology. And I think the formation of um, Wired Scores Building Council uh, announcement this week is, is awesome um, because we do need to look at um, certification. And it's been something that we've nagging, been nagging them to do for, for a long time. Mm. Um, but no, it's a great point, isn't it? Until the people who you know are investing in in real estate, like really understand the value that technology can add, then it's, it's always going to potentially be an afterthought. Yeah, and they have to safeguard themselves, right? No one is going to want to take on a building where there's a huge, you know, list of subscriptions that the new owner has to take on when actually those technologies might not be in their portfolio. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it will get interesting from that perspective and that kind of um, portability and ability to move. I think will become more important as people's understanding grows. Good. We had um, a bunch more questions come in, but I'm going to indulge myself. That's right, because I've got a question for you. Sure. Can we? Can you go to that um, uh, sort of block diagram that you showed near near the start? Yeah, this, this one. one. Yeah. yeah. So I'm interested. Um, for example, like where this sort of smart core vision comes into this, because I think the thing that I pulled out from that, which you mentioned, was like design patterns and this this concept around community and, yeah. and you know I, i've seen and i've also spoke with people in you know the m e world where they're saying you know a lot of the time on projects it's like you know cut and paste from the previous project so they'll just take like let's say the spec for whatever it is but th that particular system and then you know change a couple of things and then bosh it's like it's done I mean, in a similar, not that that's a great example, but are you saying like these kind of design patterns, you, we could potentially open source or creative, creative commons release specific um, specs or for best practice for, for, for smart tech? Yeah, I mean, that's where we'd like to get to. So I think the, the reason that we have this kind of um, copy paste approach is because broadly, um, people have their favored systems, people know systems, um, but they're also still thinking in those package silos. So what we haven't yet got to is design teams that are consistently looking at this kind of system of systems approach. And that's really the bit that we're looking to address within um, the foundation is those patterns for looking at how systems are integrated together. And then ultimately in future, as we move towards it, the potential of those systems being removed and more direct to device integration occurring. And that's where you can get into that real flexibility between stuff that happens on premise and or it happening in the cloud. Um, so yeah, the, the license that we've selected is, is Creative Commons. Um, we want to do it uh, so it's as, um, unrestricted as, as possible. So the license that it looks like will work under is uh, the attribution, so people know where it's come from, and then what Creative Commons called share alike, which means um, anyone would be able to, to take those patterns, um, make any adjustments they want to, but they have to produce those derivative works under the Creative Commons as well. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that that would perpetuate the, um, the growth of this and mean that we don't get to a stage and then suddenly people start taking things in-house and uh, trying to go their own way, mm -hmm. um, which is something that will naturally occur with any kind of um, open project. But to mm -hmm. keep that out and available for people to use is something that's um, really important to us. And also, as I said earlier, you know, I don't see a point where building developers start getting exciting, excited about competing on technical plumbing. It may come one day, but um, based on the conversations I've had, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get to some of your questions and I promise we'll try and get through them all before we end. Uh, first one here, Mike, would you say the UK is ahead or behind the rest of the EU on the smart building technology deployment curve? If we're behind, if we're behind, why do you think that is? Um, it's a good question. I would probably say I don't have enough experience to give a proper answer. 
Um, I hear anecdotally um, places like Austria and Germany who have um, taken a much more kind of industrial automation approach are doing better things. But then conversely, I've met people from those places in conferences and they say it's just as bad as it is here. Um, so yeah, I, I don't feel like the, the UK is kind of super far ahead. I had a view a while ago that the US was leading a lot further than we were, but I also hear that that isn't the case from other people. Mm. So I think the point here is that um, there are so few people willing to go first on this stuff. And that's some of the reason that we're so keen in opening it up is to encourage people to um, be able to see inside the box, you know, to have that transparency and go, oh, okay, right, I get this. This is how it could work. Um, but there is so much reluctance to, um, to change. And I think until that change is demonstrated, um, we had a, a client recently who decided not to go um, for full integration because although we'd taken them for a walk around a fully functioning smart building, they'd met the head of FM, they told them how amazing it was. When we couldn't give them another, I think they asked for another five case studies, um, you know, it, it just wasn't possible. And so you get to the point of, there, you're in that kind of vicious cycle of there isn't enough information. I can't see enough other people doing this. I don't know if it's a good idea. I'm not going to mm -hmm. do it myself. Yeah. And we're just in that kind of perpetuation at the moment, but we, we just, we desperately can't stay there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It needs to, it needs to move. And I guess it's that snowball effect. Right. And I think, you know, my perspective, I think you, any country, I think you can see some exemplar, um, projects um but we're still in that kind of stage i feel like aren't we we're not really at the mass we're certainly not at the mass adoption phase anyway no uh another question um i was wondering how you answer the question from developers and landlords how do i future proof my building uh yeah um so I think that goes back to the, um, the building enablement um, stuff that I mentioned earlier. So um, I would definitely be advocating a converged network. I think it just, it doesn't make sense anymore to have contractors turn up with a load of their own network switches and it just makes support monitoring everything else more difficult. So I mm -hmm. think um, that's very sensible. I also hear of people, I have, one developer put in half a million pounds worth of structured cabling into the base build and their BMS contractor turned around and said they wouldn't do the project unless they use their own network. And so I, I think that's wow. those kind of positions, but it, it was also where the developer didn't feel like they had the, the kind of technical capability to push back and go, mm. well, actually there's no reason that you can't use my structured cabling because it's exactly the same cabling as you're going to bring. And also, I can configure my switches in any way that you want them to be configured to support your system. So mm. I, I think a lot of it is around, it is real basics like pass, consistent passive infrastructure, consistent active infrastructure in terms of networks, which is if you're feeling brave and you've got some technical people around getting head ends onto some kind of server equipment, the number of like, very prestigious buildings that we walk inside and you kind of get into the bowels and suddenly there's just like a desktop pc sat on a desk and you're like oh what's what's that doing oh that that runs the access control for the building oh okay uh, and it's only got one hard disk in it yeah it's never failed how long has it been there seven years brilliant okay um and it's those kind of things where actually we we're putting a lot of it based technology into buildings now but we're not bringing the discipline of and but also the well-established disciplines in it of things like you know backup and redundancy and all of that kind of stuff and, and that's again where these patterns aren't going to be necessarily revolutionary or brand new things they will just be a look at how to make things work using a lot of things that are already out there 
but specializing it for the built environment mm -hmm. because that's the bit that seems to be missing at the moment. Mm -hmm. Some more questions to get through here for you, Mike. Is Smart Core a software solution or does it include or require hardware, e.g. converged gateways, converged servers? A great question, and I wish I'd dropped our topology diagram in here now, because uh, <laughs> that would have helped me explain it much more easily. Um, so it is a software solution. It is purposefully designed to run on um, different hardware. So we don't want to be in a position where we're mandating the sort of hardware that it needs to run on. Um, the central part of it is designed a bit like if you imagine Microsoft Windows um, is uh, a platform on which you can then develop other things. So the idea is if you come along with your favorite, I don't know, community engagement app or an app that you've used across lots of other buildings and you want to use it again, the idea is that SmartCore gives you a single uh, building API that allows you to talk into all of the other systems in the building. One of the goals beyond that is then to provide the abstraction. So that's where you're um, normalizing data from all of the disparate systems. So those 40 or so things that we talked about earlier on to make sure that they're all available in one layer. And also it allows us to start responding to events rather than looking at system specific functionality. And that allows us to do things like orchestrate things. So if an event is there's a meeting booked, we might start to cool the room down, we might switch the lights on, we might power up the AV gear. And that functionality kind of can live in the center. The other part mm -hmm. of it is then looking at how we take existing systems with proprietary protocols and get them very quickly to be able to talk to SmartCore. And again, that's something that we'd love to get to a point of working on with um, manufacturers. And it's also something that we're seeing in terms of um, if anyone's technical on the call, we'll be using a protocol called GRPC. And the reason that we've looked at that protocol over using something like MQTT is that it's designed for that two-way communication. So we can do very low latency um, control, um, but we can also read data out of the same stream. Whereas with MQTT, it's, a, it's quite a difficult way of achieving that um, uh, control part because it's a publish subscribe um, architecture. Um, there's probably a whole yeah. other session to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there is a there is a follow on here. Um, just it says looking at the smart call website, I see a great vision, but not much specifics at the moment. Where, when can we uh, find more on this? That's fair to say. There is a roadmap that we have internally. The, the reason that we're at where we're at, and the reason for talking about this today is we want people to get involved. We've done a fair amount of work internally. We are getting ready to release that, but we also need more people who are interested in this space to join in. Um, we don't want this to be, and going back to all of the diversity stuff that I, I picked up on the end, and also the conversations I've also had with um, wide score this week around you know, just having a bunch of developers in the room. We really want to hear from you know, consultants, architects, anyone who works in technology in the built environment, anyone who's developing software, you know, control software engineers, all of those kind of people, because we do want to make this have some really holistic output. So okay. the whole page is there for signups. Um, we expect to be somewhere towards a bit more of an announcement in February next year, all being well. I don't want to say anything more because I'll get crucified by yeah. Tom doing a lot of work internally on this. <laughs> um, and then aiming to have things in people's hands uh, towards the end of next year. So we don't want to rush this. We think it's important. Um, we're looking to understand the community first before we start trying to say we've got all the answers. Mm, nice. Uh, there are a couple more uh, smart core related questions. So maybe um, if people, let's say if people had sort of very specific, there's a couple of like quite technical ones and we're running out of time, unfortunately. If, so if people want to know more like, or have smart core related questions, can, can they, can they reach you? Is that uh, Contact just... form at the bottom of the smart core website, fill that out, 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll be able to uh, pick everything up there. And especially anything deeply technical, we can get into okay. that sessions if we need to. Yeah. And then some more uh, smart building related um, questions here. Good one, I think. Um, how is a smart building cost planned? Um, are QS is up to speed with this? Uh, uh, yeah. Great question. <laughs> yeah, that's really great thought. question. So um, the short answer to the last bit is no, they're not, um, which is unfortunate. And I think this goes back to the way that um, we expect to buy things at the moment, which is in those kind of siloed packages that um, I've talked about all the way through. The thing that we have shown where QSs are open to it is there is a good amount that can be saved by just removing those common parts from contractor packages. Where we think the industry will end up in the very long term is probably the um, uh, kind of discipline specialists, and I'll, I'll use lighting as a kind of easy example here. Um, designing lighting that goes into buildings is not easy and it is a specialism you know choice of luminaire color temperature you know all of those things have to be considered what we think will happen though is rather than lighting contractors coming along and installing all of that and then doing the control element is they will stop at the, the luminaire and then connect it into the rest of the building control system now that's some way off and that's really where we're starting to talk about the the right hand side of those five pillars that I showed you earlier mm. from silo to smart building. Mm. But I think of the cost plans where we've had an opportunity to go through and rationalize, it can always be achieved for the same money, in some cases a little bit less. Um, but again, this is where we need those people to kind of go first and it needs that collaboratively collaborative engagement early as we're looking at right now in in the reba stages trying to redo a cost plan partway through stage four as you're about to plow into a main contractor building a building is not the time like it needs to start early on and i'm highly confident that it can be done we are if it's all right would you would you be okay to answer like say three more questions we've got a, sure. we've got a, a bunch more I'm, so I'm, I'm sorry everybody i'm not gonna we're not gonna be able to get to everybody's question but i'm going to pick three and then i suggest you know if you want to follow up with with mike um we'll give you um some way to do that um, but let's finish off here first um another good one here how do you how do we ensure that contractors don't value engineer smart tech out of buildings <laughs> clearly saving cost at the capex phase but damaging true potential through opex uh, yeah, so I'm, John, I'm not actually, are we talking about, if we're talking about actual contractors who are installing the stuff, I don't know too many contractors that are trying to save their own um, stuff being taken out. I, my assumption there is you're talking about main contractors. Mm, yeah. Um, I think the way to do that is to, um, it goes back to what I was saying previously about that common understanding. It's it's quite rare that um, people would sit down and go through, you know, here's the experience they're expecting to create in this building. Here's what it looks like. Here's what, you know, people are going to see and touch. It all happens from a, a space and a finishes perspective on some projects, but it very, very rarely happens from a technology perspective in terms of making sure it's consistent and also making sure it, um, you know, really kind of, um, echoes the brand values or um, what the company is about. So in, in terms of preventing it happening, I think there's a couple of different ways of doing it. One is to um, have the main contractor only put in what's essential. And there is a, a thing that's being banded around about never mixing technology and construction. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think there will be main contractors that are forced to get this. And I think actually, if main contractors want to go early on this, um, we'd love to talk to them because it would become a real differentiator in an otherwise very crowded market. Mm. Um, I think it comes down to making sure that there is that 
um, there are those specifics around the experience because it becomes very easy to hold that up later if you've designed the interfaces, if you know what the touch points are, you can quite easily walk around the building at the end and go, well, I was expecting a visitor management kiosk. Why have I got an iPad bolted to the floor? Like that, that doesn't make any sense and it's not what was in the design. So part of it is, is specification, but I think also the way we do specifications at the moment, which are broadly, you know, pages and pages of, of numbered bullet points. We need to bring those to life because you know, that handover that goes from design team into the main contractor is absolutely critical. And it's not experientially focused at the moment. It's mm. cost and out, outcome focus based on the specification. Yeah. Yep. And that's a, a big change for everyone to get their head around. Here's, um, here's a really interesting question. If you were in front of, um, well, it says UK government here, but it's, could be any government. What would you suggest they invest in to accelerate the development of smart building ecosystem? Oh. You're not allowed to say smart call. Damn it. Uh, I mean, the, the obvious answer, right? What would they, <laughs> I think, do you know what? Um, UK government did a great thing in mandating BIM for their projects. Mm, yeah. um, I think whilst, you know, there's a lot of kind of chat around the fact that that, you know, hasn't been super effective and we haven't really moved beyond BIM level two, it actually started the conversation and it actually got people focused on, right, if we're going to win these contracts, actually, we need to make sure this stuff is in there. And I think also um, we are actively involved in a, a government project at the moment and yeah, it is devolve of any real smart aspiration, unfortunately. And so I think that would be it. It would be change their procurement and start to mandate some of this, mm. but also be really clear about what that looks like and, mm. and the reasons for doing it. And I think that my hunch would be in terms of government buildings, it would be around things like security, um, but also, you know, there is still a level of experience that civil servants require and a reason to come to the building rather than working from home. Mm. No, I mean, I think that's a, that's a really good, a really good answer. Cause I mean, that, it's a good example of leading by, uh, by example, and they can do more of that. They have a large building portfolio. There's no reason why they couldn't create exemplar projects. I think that's, um, that's a good point. Yeah. All right. Like again, um, we are, we are well over time. So um, I will do, well, let's just do one last question. Um, and okay, here we go. Across the various building technology vendor groups, who are the most directly suited to enable the convergence of building design and operation? That's part one. And then it was, I'll let you do that bit first. Um, so what well, hidden away in vanity is IT and AV. They're the, the kind of two industries that we were born out of. Mm. Um, I do actually think the, and I'm really, I'm always really surprised, I think just because they're all so busy, that the rest of the integrators in the AV industry have not warmed up to this because they're already doing the user experience designs, they're already doing user interface designs, they're already doing a lot of the control between all of the different parts. I think the ultimate um kind of marriage of success if you like would be av and bms coming together because i think mm. whilst av has a lot of the and i'm talking very much through my lens here but av has a lot of controls experience they don't have the depth of um, plant control experience that a lot of bms contractors do mm. and, and that's where i think you know it doesn't feel to me like we're ever going to get to this kind of one monolithic contractor will just do everything because it would require you to be a specialist in everything. And actually what we need is ways of people coming together around an outcome and an experience and then working out how they can all contribute to it and how they need to set their parts up for, for success. That may change with package plant over time, but I still feel like it is a 
it is a specialist area so it's still especially on very large um, buildings is still absolutely essential yeah well okay, yeah again like we've got and um, we're gonna have to put a line under it i'm very sorry i know mike's mike you've got a job to do <laughs> so you better get back to it Sorry, no <laughs> um, so yeah look anyone who hasn't um, had their question answered I apologize but um, Mike I mean I know you, you you like a bit of Twitter don't you would there is that a good way to get hold of you if people have questions uh, yeah I mean the real danger of kind of flooding my inbox um, you can also get me at mike at vanty.co.uk there you go okay so yeah anyone who, who has something specific they want to ask please do that um, and yeah, I think it just remains me to say, Mike, thank you for staying over time and thanks for the um, awesome presentation. Um, and good luck with Smart Core, of course. And so much, uh, welcome. And then just to everyone out there listening, um, if you want to subscribe, please do go to YouTube. You can find us. If you just search for Smart Building Series, you can subscribe and you'll get all of our um, recordings of this and other videos and you know um, feel free to share it as I said it's been recorded and you'll get um, you'll get a link to the recording as well um, in your inbox later thanks again everybody have a nice evening cheers Jim bye bye